This episode is brought to you by Spec. They deliver customer experiences that begin with instant trust and without the need for engineering resources. Welcome to Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Contrary to what some of my former clients and some of you have called me, there's no such thing as a fraud psychic. But with time, experience, and quality sources of information like my awesome network, it's possible to come as close to predicting the future of fraud without psychic powers. And that's what Frank McKenna, Marianne Miller, and myself did again for 2024. This is the seventh year that Frank and Marianne have put together predictions for the coming year in online fraud. And it's the second year that I was included uh, on their text threads and their Google Doc to collaborate with just these great institutions of expert fraud knowledge to create a master document with 11 predictions for scams and fraud internationally. And if you ask any one of us, we think this is the best annual predictions article yet. Do we want any of these to come true? Like, Definitely not. Well, except for maybe the one about regulations reducing the massive flow of information among fraud networks on social media platforms. Hmm. But our goal is to help members in our industry, you, know what to watch out for and prioritize this year. And so as kind of a companion to that article that is obviously linked in the show notes of today's episode, I asked Frank and Marianne to join me on today's episode of Fraudology to talk about some of the predictions that they wanted to dive a little deeper into. So we did just, you know, a paragraph or a couple paragraphs about each one, but there were a few that each of them felt like they really wanted to dive into more. And there's only so much you can say in an article, uh, but having a conversation about it is always really handy. And it was a good conversation. Uh, so I know that you will enjoy it. If you haven't heard Frank McKenna or Marianne Miller on the podcast before, Frank is a co-founder at Point Predictive, and he is the founder and really only writer behind the very popular fraud blog, Frank on Fraud. If you have not subscribed to his weekly newsletter, I highly recommend it. He includes stories that aren't always covered in his uh, blog too. So stories from all over the web, as well as the ones that he dove into. Um, so highly recommend signing up for that newsletter. Uh, and Marianne Miller is the fraud and cybercrime advisor and VP of client experience at uh, Frank and Marianne have been fraud compadres as they call themselves for I think it's over 20 years now. Uh, they came on the podcast a couple of years ago and talked more about that friendship and how they used to work together uh, side by side uh, in their past lives at other companies. Um, and just I think that they really complement each other well. And I am so honored when uh, either or both of them ask me for my opinion uh, or ask me to be involved in something uh, like this. So before letting you listen in on this conversation, I wanted to just list out the 11 predictions. They're probably going to sound, some of them are probably going to sound like half thoughts. So definitely if you're like, huh, what does that mean? Go and listen, read the whole article. But because we only talked about four or five of the predictions on today's episode, I thought that I would list off all of them so you know uh, what we foresee is coming. And you know, really what it comes down to is we looked at what happened this last year? What did we predict? What did we not predict? And what surprised us? And what do we expect to 
hit us all with full force. And, you know, we really tried to represent things that you'll be seeing in banking fraud, but also in e-commerce fraud and also in fintech and lending and all the other areas of fraud that I know our listeners represent and Frank's readers as well. And so some may be applicable to you more than others, but we also know that those lines between banking fraud and e-commerce fraud and lending fraud have all gotten very blurry uh, in the last several years. Oftentimes we're seeing the same things or very, very similar tactics or technology being used. So I think it's equally important to know what's hitting other organizations within kind of the, the scam life cycle, within the payments and banking and financial life cycle, as it is to know what's hitting your own company. So I wouldn't say that these were in any specific order. I mean, we think they're all really important. Uh, but prediction number one was a wave of any fraud is will be revealed. So the first sentence there is in 2024, a new wave of any perpetrated fraud will be realized at banks, lenders, telecom providers, online retailers, and shippers. The word any has been popularized on social media fraud forums to sell insider access to do everything. I have done at least one episode on any fraud uh, last year. I think it's really important to uh, be aware of and then think about how it can impact your company because it's really changing the game. And when you have insiders uh, helping fraudsters perpetrate fraud, a lot of the mechanisms that you have to alert your company that fraud is happening will be bypassed. Prediction number two, scam reimbursement will kick off first party fraud bonanza. So with banks uh, and banks in the UK and Zelle announcing in June in the US and other organizations looking to provide scam reimbursement for authorized push payment fraud and other types of scams, we really expect first party fraud to skyrocket for a lot of different ways and definitely read the article to uh get to understand more of those specifics. Prediction number three, digital doppelgangers, ransom, and extortion. It wouldn't be 2024 without a prediction about the impact of AI and deepfakes. And we believe these two things are in store for the year. Number one, true multi-model AI cloning models will give rise to digital doppelgangers. So with AI cloning, models will emerge for voice in real-time video over the next 12 to 15 months. Uh, number two, AI extortion and ransom scams will proliferate. Moving on to prediction number four, zombie offices will expose massive commercial real estate fraud. If you remember the mortgage fraud crisis in 2008 that especially hit the U.S., um, as interest rates rose, you know, property values collapsed and all that fraud was exposed. The main culprits were that people lied about their income and the property values were widely overinflated by appraisers. Well, the same thing has happened with commercial real estate. Uh, and in this conversation with Frank that you're going to listen to in just a couple minutes, Frank and Marianne, in just a couple of minutes, Frank really hits home a good thing about how you can almost predict what area of fraud is going to be big uh, in the near future, just by what's happening um, currently in the market or within different countries and, you know, what uh, within industries. So uh, that kind of ties in with that prediction as well as another one that's coming up soon. Um, this is one that I, uh, Frank and I had a little conversation about and maybe a disagreement. Um, 
about in this episode, uh, but this was uh, a prediction that Frank provided to the group and uh, far be it from me to argue with him, uh, but it was a good conversation to be had in this episode. Um, that prediction is that a big account purge will hit full stride. So uh, the theory being that, you know, there's so many bad accounts out there, fake accounts, whether it's first party or third party fraud that have just infiltrated the financial system and that banks and other e-commerce companies and other companies will want to purge those fake accounts out of their system. I hope that's true, but um, you'll get to hear in a little bit why I challenge that a little bit or why I'm afraid that that may not be the case. But, you know, you can't be in fraud without being a little cynical or a little skeptical, right? Um, so number six is that faulty KYC will strain as attack rates increase. So, um, you know, traditional know your customer processes are broken um, or in many cases they don't work. And so uh, we talked about how that will put a strain on attack rates. Um, that was a really good one that I highly recommend reading about in the article. Prediction number seven, uh, crypto crackdown will heat up. Uh, we know that because of, you know, Binance and all these other, you know, FTX and all these other uh, crypto companies that have been brought to light in the last year or two. And the, there will continue to be more of that, especially in regulations around AML um, and BSA in crypto. Prediction eight, banks will battle against persistent check fraud practically. We hope that they will battle it practically. We know that banking budgets are tight, but what do I always say? Fraudsters don't ask you for budget. And so they'll probably be way higher. The loss amounts that they steal from you will always be higher than the amount that you could budget for prevention. And so we provide some you know, suggestions for things that banks can do for prevention. Prediction number nine, uh, the jigs up on social media skirting accountability. So this was one that I provided to the group. Um, anyone who is, works for a two-sided marketplace or a social media platform is probably aware of the regulations in Europe as well as in the U.S. Uh, that are fastly approaching. The DSA in Europe will be um, actually in February of 2024, and I hope to have a couple of really great guests talk about that soon on an upcoming episode. Uh, and then also the Informed Consumers Act, which occurred in June of 2023. Um, these are regulations to watch in this space. Um, I know that two-sided marketplaces, um, you know, just a couple of them would be like eBay or Etsy. I know that companies like that have been preparing for this uh, with more data verification tools and processes. But social media platforms like Telegram, TikTok, and Facebook may not be as ready. Um, so they may not, maybe because they don't realize that they're actual targets of these laws. But I think, you know, our hope is that um, some of this activity will be taken down without losing, you know, a lot of the transparency that we currently have into how fraud and organized crime, you know, organizations are working. Uh, number 10 is that fraudsters will attack the supply chain. This is also something that I provided uh, really talking about AI bots, which were a hot topic in late September, as well as October and November on the podcast this year. Um, you know, they're borrowing techniques from cyber attacks um, and they're, you know, some of these groups are realizing it's better to attack the fraud systems um, than companies themselves. And I think it's something that uh, fraud vendors need to be very aware of and 
uh, be humble about and not, you know, gaslight their clients saying, oh, this isn't on our side. Well, just take care of it. Don't worry about playing the blame game. Um, that's a very short part, but, you know, I've talked about this more uh, in previous episodes. And then our last prediction for 2024 uh, was, you know, um, really the stealthy scammer shapeshift. So uh, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And uh, one of my, you know, personal superheroes is Erin West uh, and her band of crime fighters who are working to dismantle pig butchering operations. Um, and as well as, you know, when banks reimburse more scam victims and law enforcement cracks down on how scam pr proceeds, you know, move through crypto platforms, we just, we expect there to be a massive reaction from scammers and that they're going to shapeshift. And so we provided a few thoughts about what we think might happen as far as migration and how they'll become more stealthy on the victim assisted scams and how gift cards will be more favorable than crypto. Um, but really, at the end of the day, <laughs> these are 11 predictions. We know that there are a few things that are going to happen in this new year that we can't predict. But, uh, you know, this exercise is really meant as a warning to our peers, as well as just some information and education to think about what fraud could look like on your own platform for this year and be ready for it before it occurs, or at least have a plan for when it does happen. So with that, we'll let you listen in on this conversation that I had with Frank and Marianne. I always enjoy talking fraud with them. I can always talk to them for hours and hours, but between the three of us, we never have that much time. Um, one more note, we are going to be doing a webinar uh, just in two days from when this episode comes out. So if you're listening to this right when it comes out, I highly recommend signing up for the webinar. It is on uh, the 11th of January at 10 a.m. Pacific. 1 p.m. Eastern, and uh, it's through About Fraud, or it's um, hosted by uh, PJ at About Fraud. I will put a link to sign up to attend that webinar live or receive a recording of it uh, in the show notes as well. So uh, we really appreciate, you know, this really just started with uh, something that Frank wanted to do for his blog, but as it's gotten bigger, I've wanted to use my platform to talk about it more fully. Uh, PJ and Ronald at About Fraud have wanted to use their platform to get it out as well. So, um, you know, these are all people who I work closely with and think highly of, and uh, we all wanted to support each other. So that is another opportunity to listen to us talk about things and, and to answer your questions if you have any questions on these topics, please come to the webinar. All right, guys. Well, here, let's listen in on this conversation with Frank and Marianne. I certainly enjoyed it. And I think you will too. Welcome back to the Fraudology Podcast. I am so thrilled to get to reintroduce uh, Frank McKenna and Marianne Miller to Fraudology. They joined me last year at the beginning of the year to talk about our predictions and fraud for 2023. And then again in July to kind of check in on those predictions. Uh, and as promised last week, welcoming them back now uh, to talk about the predictions that the three of us put together for a you know, pretty all-encompassing article that came out on Frank on Fraud last week with our predictions of fraud for 2024. Frank kind of spearheaded that project, Marianne and I consulted on it and uh, provided our thoughts too. And um, 
it's honestly becoming something that I look forward to during the holiday weeks. It's like a project I work on when I'm not working on anything else. So it's fun. But welcome back to the podcast, Frank and Marianne. It is great to be here. I was just looking at two, seven years now of, pro- of predictions. So this has been wow. crazy. Yeah, it's kind of a tradition. I feel like there's a lot of prediction posts and articles. And it's uh, definitely is a time to reflect on the year before and what's going to happen the prior year or the next year. So I'm happy to be here. Well, yeah. And I was so honored last year when you asked me to, you know, work on the sixth annual one uh, that you and Marianne have done. And now the, and I guess I did an okay job because now it's in the seventh annual one as well. And Marianne, I, what do you think about doing this for seven years? I mean, it's frauds come so far, unfortunately. Yeah. When we started to really get ready for this, this particular uh, prediction, when we were looking at them, I thought 2024, that sounds like the future. <laughs> and, and I thought, we're, you know, we really, um, we really have come a long way when it comes to, you know, fraud, you know, and what we can do to prevent and detect it. We also are looking at the situation where the fraudsters have come a long way too. Yes. So I thought, you know, there was a point in our, all of our careers where we looked, what, was it, what would it be like in the future? And I think we're, we're there. We're actually there. Yeah, you, we were talking and, you know, you'll bring this up more in a little bit, but, you know, there's a book that Teresa Payton wrote, you know, in 2020 about, you know, deep fakes and AI. And I remember thinking when the book came out, like, well, it's kind of futuristic and sci-fi, like, I don't know. And it was pretty predictive and spot on. And now we're dealing with those things. So that's a really good point that, you know, as, as cheesy as it is, the future is now. <laughs> And looking back, and I actually should have, I I want to go back to the first one that you guys did and just see like how, you know, like how far we've come, you know, like where we were, because I think that we don't always notice how fast things change unless we kind of stop and reflect on what's already happened and what do we think is going to happen in the future, like, you know, like we've done in this article. Yeah, there's some interesting ones I going back. I watched a show last night called Bitcon. It's on Netflix. It's about a company called Centra.tech who was just a massive fraud. And anyway, it occurred in 2017, 2018. And our, one of our predictions for 2017 was the cryptocurrency bubble will attract a lot of shady activity. So we were, and uh, it turns out there was a stat. The reason I bring it up because there was a statistic at the end of the documentary that said, 80% of the cryptocurrency companies that came out in 2017 were scams. Eight out of 10. It just shows that like, and, and I still think it's 80%, right? Of, <laughs> based on what we saw this year. It's just uh, the more fraud changes, the more it's kind of the same. Mm. Yeah, I would really be curious to know how many of those companies were scams from the beginning and how many were, you know, probably good ideas or possibly maybe not good ideas, but just ideas that started out legitimate. But in order to, you know, buy the fancy car or get, you know, to keep their investors or whatever it is, they started to cut corners and turned into a scam. I think every company, and we, I think we talked about founder fraud, right, is one of the... It is, yeah. In the, in the prediction, but every single founder fraud last year started off with a company that was a good idea, with a good intentions, and just went bad. That's actually what made me think that, right, is when I was reading your, you know, the prediction about founder fraud uh, and that there would be more, um, I thought it was really interesting that you compared that to the mortgage crisis of 2008. You know, that 
one of the side effects of, you know, an economic downturn and interest rates in the U.S. going up, you know, in 2008 was a mortgage crisis because so many people had been given mortgages that probably shouldn't have been and, you know, had lied about their income and other things. And this time around with this economic downturn that kind of started in 2020, 2021, when investment dollars, just that faucet got turned off all of a sudden that that caused. And I could see that very clearly as far as, you know, I've worked with enough startups to know that there are some founders that uh, that line between delusional and forward thinking is pretty thin. (laughs) Pretty thin. Here's the thing. Like if there's any like young Listeners, I'm sure you do have some, not old fogies like me, but (laughs) here's the one thing that's a tried and true consistent. When you look around you at any any point in time, look around you and what is just booming? What is the thing that's booming? Is it cryptocurrency? Is it housing? Is it, you know, startup companies? Is it tech? Look at that when it's booming and know that there's a ton of fraud happening. And that's every single time it's a tried and true thing. Look at Wirecard. Look at that. It was it was like Germany's, you know, hot startup. Dan McCroman, you know, the the uh, whole investigation with Financial Times. I mean, uncovered uh, not not only just fraud, but you talk about espionage and you know, and terrorism, and, all, and it's yeah. still and it's still an ongoing story. So it just gets interesting by the day. Uh, and to, like Frank said, where there's um, you know. When it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. It doesn't matter what they say. People will, oh, no, no, no. This is this is the real deal. No, it never is. It never yeah. is. Oh, yeah. I remember, I think it was maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I was talking with a solution provider in our space, and they were betting pretty heavily on providing uh, their verification identity verification services to crypto and they spent so much money on this crypto conference i can't remember what it was called but like you know it had celebrities there and all these things and like you know they were rubbing elbows with sam bankman freed and it was just you know money was flowing and craziness and now you know most of those most of maybe not most but a lot of those founders lost everything during crypto winter or they're in headlines for fraud and that was just you know two years ago that it was just flowing like crazy and oh it's got to be legitimate so here's a question what is booming right now hmm artificial intelligence maybe you think there's maybe some fraud in the ai space ai yeah that would be my guess. Yeah. As well as, yeah. I mean, because it's not, that's really the only part of tech or startups that is getting funding. Money right now. Mm-hmm. now. And it's a lot and it's mm-hmm. hyped up. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think about investments, but not really. I mean, and crypto isn't, I mean, there's some, but it's not the way it was even a couple of years ago with NFTs and, you know, all the other things. That's a really, really good point. So diving in a little bit more to some of these predictions, um, Marianne, one of the ones that you wanted to talk a little bit about was 
you know, broken KYC. Uh, and I think most of the people listening know that KYC means know your customer. Um, and that's part of anti-money laundering regulations. You know, knowing your customer, knowing who they are is important for a lot of companies that are regulated, whether it's banking or financial services or others. Um, what was it about, you know, KYC being broken that I think the title of this one was faulty KYC will strain as attack rates increase. So what was it about that prediction that you felt was important to highlight? Well, I just challenge everyone in this audience, um, you know, do a test um, and, you know, share your PII with a friend that you trust and then go on your phone or their phone. Don't um, use your own phone for it. Give it to them. Give them your PII and have them apply for an account. They'll, They'll get approved. They'll get approved. So what's happened is, is we've had so I think, many... Frank, does that mean that Marianne is encouraging fraud? <laughs> I'm my PII and say approve, you know, go apply for an account because it's on Telegram. I mean, we just had the Xfinity breach. Look at the data that was in that. And and we hear about, and I'm not, I just want to pick on Xfinity, but every day we hear about these breaches. I mean, you know, I know Identity Theft Resource Center does a good job of tracking those. And um, our um, personal information, which is required by the regulations, you know, Customer Information Program, you know, Marianne's name, her social, her date of birth and her address are all compromised 100%. So if you think about, all of the, um, you know, experiences across banking and fintech and, um, you know, whether it's lending or whether it's, you know, a, a direct deposit account, you know, whether it's, you know, a dating app, you know, you name it. That's the foundation of information that's usually gathered to make some decisions about whether to open these accounts. Now, while validating that information is important, I'm not you know, I don't want to take away that, you know, I call it entity resolution, understanding that these four pieces of information really do belong to Marianne, and she is a person out there. But it doesn't answer the question, you know, that is Marianne presenting that information? Absolutely does not. So we're really at the point, you know, I, talk, I talked to one bank at a roundtable, and they said, you know, Marianne, we really don't know who our customer is until they start to transact. We really don't know. And there might be some validation in that statement, you know, if, if you really don't know until their customer begins. So really, I think it's incumbent now for all organizations to say, what are those signals? What are those things that we can look at that start to tell me that Marianne's on the other end of that interaction? And I think, you know, we're there. Other ways, it breaks down the SAR filing process. It breaks down um, a number of other processes around classifying fraud correctly, you know, calling it first party when it's actually identity theft. <laughs> you know, um, so there's, um, right. Um, and then, you know, it fuels scams because these are, you know, all, you know, the way that bad actors create, you know, cash out accounts. It fuels check fraud. It fuels ACH fraud. The, I call it what goes wrong when you don't get identity right. So, um, I, you know, I think we're, we're at an inflection point as an industry, you know, across the board around really looking at that question and looking at that question hard. Hmm. I would say, you know, another challenge, the, well, I 
get your point. I just know that, you know, credit uh, and fraud managers for fintechs and lending companies are like, don't try to, you know, don't put in applications that are fraudy on my site, even if you cancel it right away. But, you know, another thing to do is to go on to have I been pwned and see how many times your email address or, you know, your password have been breached. And that site, you can even actually kind of, you know, it can help with a account takeover, but that's another, you know, another story for another day. But to your point, just to highlight what you're saying is when all of the data about a person that you're validating already is out there, is already public, is already on lists and lists and things and stitching together data from different data breaches. And we know there are these massive databases now that exist, um, as well as when fraudsters have access to some of the same tools or tools that have the same data sources that merchants and banks use for KYC and verification, that's when, yeah, KYC is going to be broken because they have all the same information we do. So of course they're going to use, you know, Marianne Miller's correct address and phone number and email and all of that. And so how does a bank know that, you know, it's Marianne on the other end? And I mean, we, we know some of the answers to that behavior biometrics, device intelligence, things like that, but it has to be tools that continue to evolve and get better because the fraudsters are quickly trying to catch up on whatever is working for us to find those, you know, the differentiators, the things that they don't have access to. Yeah, and those phone signals are important too. Those, you know, identity associated to a phone and the trust of that phone and, you know, that th- those things. The last time it had a SIM swap or, yeah, a reporting, right? So I just, I feel pretty passionate about the, you know, this uh, topic and I feel, and it's really why I'm, you know, working in identity at this part of my career because of the fact that I think it is such a challenge, but I think that we can start to look at how to solve it. Mm, yeah, I I agree. Frank, any thoughts on that one? Or do you want to dive into another prediction that you wanted to highlight? I guess what I'd say is I love Marianne's quote on that, that she had said where you got to, if KYC is not done right, it impacts everything. You know, so we talk about check fraud, you know, at banks. A lot of that check fraud's occurring because the criminals are opening bank accounts to stolen identities, and then they're just using those to pass bad checks. Can't take over. You know, everything is tied back. So you really have to focus on, I think it's a great uh, a great thing to point out and a great kind of core tenant of fraud. So, And not just doing the check the box of what the regulations say KYC is, right? But instead, looking at what else can we look at to actually verify the identity? Uh, how can we go beyond just because those regulations are always going to lag a little bit behind what is possible? What's interesting about this, Chris, and, and Frank, we'll just talk about this one more second because I know we have lots to talk about, but I think the fraud teams understand that KYC is broke. I don't know if the executives understand that. I don't know even if the BSA AML teams understand that because they're looking at the checkbox. You know, what is required by the regulators? They're not looking at, well, does this really work or not? Answering that question, that's where the challenge lies. And I think part of it is fraud teams educating the executives and the BSA AML teams, but also those teams being receptive to the fraud education. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's something that came up in a previous uh, episode when I interviewed uh, Soups Ranjan, who's the CEO of uh, Sardine, who was the um, 
quarterly sponsor of Fraudology last quarter because their tool actually brings AML and fraud teams together and you know creates a cloud-based tool for both teams to work on together. And he said something similar where, you know, it oftentimes they're seeing some of the same things, but in two different ways. And, you know, the traditional AML tools can not always see everything that the fraud team sees and doesn't have access to all those things. They're just looking at, yeah, the checkboxes, right? Like, do we have this information? Well, just because one identity data verification provider says that, yeah, those are all the, you know, the right data pieces for that person does not mean that that's the person on the other end of the phone or the computer. Well, and I think that also plays really well into one of our other predictions is account purging. <laughs> so why do you that's have really good tea out there, right? Yeah. Why do you have to purge accounts? And Frank, I think, you know. Yeah, Frank, I'd love know. for you to talk a little bit about account purging because I... I don't know if I would have said that one as a prediction. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so the big I call it the big account purge. And I the reason I brought that up is because what I've kind of seen happening kind of, I would say not officially reported, but it's being reported kind of in these various channels. So like some of the data points, maybe federal. I didn't know this was happening, but on YouTube, there's a bunch of videos with customers that have sold their membership IDs to third-party fraudsters so that the fraudsters could get accounts. So they sell them for like $300. And Navy Federal did a mass sweep and shut down 50,000 customer exploiting accounts, people that have participated with fraudsters about a month ago. So I see this as something that these credit unions that have you know been pretty friendly, they're starting to go in there and purge their accounts of, of what they're finding is, is pretty bad stuff. The other thing you see is reporting in the New York Times, a lot of reporting about banks closing accounts down and cons- customers don't know why. It's because they're tripping some sort of fraud, money laundering review. Banks are getting more aggressive and closing down accounts. Where it's a customer situation, right? And they're not always getting it right. And what you're hearing about is a complaint. So I just see this groundswell, this recognition of first party fraud and exploitation. And then Amazon, right? You see Amazon going after customers. I mean, that's a big deal for the biggest retailer in the world to say, not all of my customers are good people. And this uh, Amazon is all about making it easy to shop online, bringing it, making it, democratizing it so that you have sellers and buyers coming together in a safe way. But they're going after customers now that are bad. And there are a lot of merchants that are a little smaller than them that are taking notice of that. I can definitely attest that. We had a great conversation two weeks ago on my retailer call about that. Um, Being able to say Amazon did it, so we should be able to. However, Amazon's valuation is already set, right? It's not necessarily on act. It doesn't rely on number of active users anymore because it has so many. So I think that's an advantage that they have that other companies don't. So I think that, yeah, I think it's a, just a, this is just a trend. I think as more, it's kind of a good trend in a way, because as these big companies, you start to hear about it, other companies go, well, I guess I can do this. I know for a fact, I mean, you see some of these neobanks reporting, shutting down hundreds and thousands of dormant accounts that were probably the accounts set that up for COVID fraud or you know, whatever, they're yeah. closing them down. So I think this is going to continue. I think this purge is going to happen. I think it's a 
good thing because there's so many synthetics. What is, so Kier says 3% of, sorry about that, 3% of uh, bank accounts might be synthetic. Biocatch says there's 2 million mule accounts that are out there right now set up to steal money. There's millions of accounts out there that are facilitating, perpetrating fraud, and we got to get rid of them. I don't argue with you at all that that's happening and that there are a ton of fake accounts. I think my concern, you know, just knowing as many tech companies as I do and not necessarily startups, but, you know, there are some seven-year startups or things like that, but a lot of them, their valuations are still very heavily tied to number of active users or number of users. And so depending on where that company is in their funding cycle, uh, and depending on how their valuation is set up with, you know, their investors or their stock, you know, their shareholders, I see a lot of companies being very, you know, worried about it. And I can see other departments, you know, and leadership, you know, kind of similar to what Marianne said, you know, where the fraud team knows this, but not everyone else does saying, but what if we cancel a good customer's account? You know, what if we do that? Like, you know, and obviously you can say, well, these are accounts that haven't used us in this much time, or the only activity they did was this, or, you know, you can put parameters around it, but, you know, I mean, look at PayPal's stock price went down when they closed those, you know, 4.5 million accounts after losing $45 million to them or to that specific fraud, you know, they had to disclose that and their stock price went down. How many more companies are going to want to take that risk just in the name of doing the right thing? What happened to what happened to Elon Musk and the bots when he said twenty percent of Twitter accounts were bots and then yeah, yeah he was going to take never got rid of them. What happened to that twenty percent of accounts? I have a feeling it's now more like mm, seventy or eighty percent of accounts. But but he, but you're right. I mean, even look at that. Like you have a big, you know, seemingly very vocal person about bots and how he's going to get rid of them, and then it's crickets after he buys it. Yeah, it, that's true. Oh yeah, I mean, I think we all. Those of us that have been in the tech world long enough, and you know, I've known quite a few people that have worked for various social media companies, um, including that one, did a lot of, yeah, okay, we'll see, you know, when he was making those claims. I mean, I knew the minute he said he was going to start charging for blue verification check marks that that wouldn't work. But, you know, that's oftentimes we aren't consulted. If anything, I mean, he, the trust and safety team was one of the first ones to go when he took over. And so if he really was serious about getting rid of bots, that shouldn't have been his first move. Yeah. What is, uh, they always say, don't look at what people say, look at what they do. Hmm. One of the things that, you know, Frank and I, and I'm sure you too, Carice, have been on the receiving end of is when these kind of accounts, these sleeper accounts, these fake accounts hang around for a long time, they don't just die. They will eventually wake up. And we've watched mass wake ups of sleepers and crises occur at organizations. So what I can say is if you don't do the big purge, you will do the big purge because it'll happen. You know, they're not just going to sit there and die off of your portfolio. That's that's very true. There are spreadsheets upon spreadsheets that fraudsters have or different organized crime rings have that either, either they'll go back to or they'll sell, you know, I, they'll sell for, you know, sometimes 50 cents on the dollar, but they'll, oh yeah, we create all these accounts. We did this specific fraud here. This group does a different type of fraud and they need a bunch of accounts. And I mean, Frank and I are on Telegram enough, and I'm sure you are too, a little bit, Marianne, to know that there are constantly different bank accounts and credit card accounts and lending accounts being sold in bulk 
I'm sure they weren't all just created yesterday because obviously that would trigger alarms. And, you know, the the other aspect of this is, you know, we're talking about deep fakes and AI um, and is that these are going to be used for scams. You know, these, these are, these are, these are dormant accounts are for sale. Scammers have to have someplace to cash out. You know, they've got, the money's got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, this topic of deep fakes, which is really popular in the media in general, and it's popular in our circles. You know, I wanted to bring up what you brought up earlier about Teresa Payton, who um, she's the ex-CISO from the White House, happens to be um, a really good friend of mine. But um, she has written an outstanding book called Manipulated. And I wanted to um, just cover a little bit about what she says about deep fakes. And she, again, wrote this in 2020. And she said um, that um, deep fakes are really AI-generated forgeries. And I really like the way that she put that. She said that um, they're so convincing that you can't believe your eyes. And, um, you know, uh, I know that Frank's done, uh, we've been on some webinars where he's, you know, put himself in a deep fake with a different persona, with his voice behind it. And it's very convincing. And it's each time that Frank's done it, it's gotten better and better and better and more and more convincing. And so, um, you know, this I know I've been promising to tell you more about SPEC and why I invited them to sponsor episodes of Fraudology. And there's actually so many things that I want to tell you and will tell you over the next several weeks. But the first thing I wanted to make sure that you hear about is their Trust Cloud. SPEC's Trust Cloud protects the integrity of the digital user while simplifying the risk process. It allows you to discover insights across the entire digital user experience. It allows you to catch attacks early. With access to full visibility, you can scan visitor behavior across their entire journey to catch the risk patterns that traditional fraud check APIs miss. Visualize the flow of attacks, identifying areas to catch them early, and leaving bad actors with nowhere to hide. It also allows you to start each journey with instant trust. You can boost platform integrity by instantly welcoming return customers to their personal account experience, while your trust platform invisibly screens for signs of compromise and abuse. It also allows you to remove friction for good customers and increase conversions. By using a single source of truth, you can detect evolving fraud attacks and identify conversion drop-offs and optimize your payment strategy. The bottom line is when you're able to to see every customer's behavior from the moment that they enter your website until the time of checkout or when they open up a new account, you can identify that before the fake account is made, before the transaction is even made and now you've got a fraud transaction in your platform. It's honestly game-changing and I'm really excited for more people to learn about it. So to learn more about SPEC and this new technology and especially their spec trust cloud go to www.specprotected.com a whole combination of how this is going to evolve from the standpoint of both maybe how ai will help solve some of these problems but definitely ai will be used for all kinds of, you know, and I think Teresa's book is so well put, manipulation. You know, it's going to be a lot of manipulation. They already are being used, right? We're seeing it. The last six months have been intense with AI bots targeting, you know, systems and supply chains of various companies or, you know, the romance scams where, you know, people used to say, well, if they won't get on a video call with me, then it might, you know, I don't trust them. Well, now they'll get on a video call with you because they're using a deep fake. 
Can you clarify a little bit the difference between identity theft and a deep fake? I mean, when you're talking about deep fakes, are you talking about video and picture? And identity theft is really, you know, using someone else's identity data to steal it. I think identity theft could occur with a deep fake. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But they're two different things. And I just kind of wanted to clarify that. Yeah. But they'll go hand in hand. They can make up their own persona with someone else's image or AI generated image, or, or they could actually use, they could actually try to emulate Marianne Miller and my voice. They can clone my voice. They can clone my image. They can clone things that I've even said online um, with, with things you've said, Carice, or, or Frank. Oh, I've thought about it. 250 episodes. I've thought about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think we're in for, you know, and, and so we're in the fraud world and certainly we're, we're within an industry. But when you start to elevate that to, you know, um, you know, actually when it matters, when it's leaders of a country or leaders in a visible situation and where, you know, move, where information's moving so quickly and can be misconstrued through all kinds of uh, different scenarios. Uh, again, we're, I think we're in for, you know, um, not only, oh, not only in the fraud world, we're in for, um, some big challenges, but also, uh, you know, I, I think that we, I was, um, speaking of X, I was on a spaces conversation I was listening into about how every six months they said that AI is taking another leap. So if you can imagine, you know, how those leaps occurring every six months, um, that, that's, that's astounding change. And Frank, kind of on that note, that kind of plays into digital doppelgangers as well. Yeah. That does, for sure. Digital doppelgangers, they're coming. They're probably already here. That was one of your predictions as well, yeah. Yeah, this one's like, the point of this prediction isn't like, oh, drop everything you're doing and invest all your money to try to stop deep fakes, because I don't think that's the point. But I think the point of this is that this is coming, and it's going to be a significant threat. And it's the concept of digital doppelgangers. And it's a, what I think of digital doppelganger, I think of it as it can be a good thing and a bad thing. So for example, you see this in China where people, so influencers will create an AI version of themselves and have their voice cloned and they'll record videos, not in real time, but they'll record these videos with their avatar just talking for them. They just have to type in everything. And it it's like this version of themselves that can face out to the public and be them online. And it's like a perfect version of themselves. So digital doppelganger, I believe in business in three, five years, we'll all have one, right? We'll use it for for maybe recording calls, uh, recording presentations when we can't make it. So we'll have a version of ourselves that'll be our, like our avatar. I was just going to say, it sounds like an avatar, like in Second Life or something yeah. like that. It's an avatar. It's going to be, we're going to have them. It's going to be through applications and they're going to be very, very good. And I think if we think about like what's going to happen next 12 to 15 months, I think it's going to be this. I think you're going to see new type of AI model that can clone you visually so you can record yourself on a Zoom or in a studio and get your who you are recorded and you can that'll clone your video but then it'll actually be able to clone your voice too so then you Carice, could if you got a hold of that software could be me right you could actually be the person but it would be real time transcribing your voice with my voice and using that avatar as you want it to well especially if it's password protected because we know passwords are broken right so. well but here's the thing is with only three seconds of audio I could clone your voice now Carice. and Microsoft has come up with algorithms where I can clone your voice with three seconds of 
audio and video may be maybe somewhat similar, right? You can already use like photos and make them talk by manipulating them. So you probably need, you know, maybe you'll need one or two minutes of video and three seconds of audio and you can create a version of you. So I just think that is not unlikely. I think it will happen. I, is it will it happen in six, seven months? I don't know. I think it's going to happen in the next 12 to 15. I think it's going to give rise to a lot of imposter scams like CEO scams where the CEO is going to call you asking for gift cards on Zoom and you're going to send the gift cards out or you, it'll be used in ransom scams. So you know, like today where they're using AI voice clones for ransom scams, where they're playing the recording. Maybe you'll get a video call, a FaceTime call. Maybe you'll get a Zoom call. It'll be used for all sorts of imposter scams, extortion scams. That's just going to be what's going to happen. Unfortunately, that's kind of a scary world. Yeah. And I think that 12 months ago, we wouldn't have thought it was so close. No. I thought a year ago, I saw Resemble AI, I can't remember. And I did for Marianne, I was going to give a presentation. I, I went and cloned my voice and I get, sent it to her and it was really, it was really digital. It sounded like a robot. And so I was like, yeah, this is crap. No one's ever going to use this. And then six months later, I said, hey, let me go back there and try it again. And I was just floored because my voice sounded just like me. So I put out my voice and I put out the cloned voice and I put it out on LinkedIn and I did like a poll and I said, which one's the real me? 80% of the people chose the cloned voice as the real me. It just, that's six months, right? So we have to think reality gets, like Miriam was saying, this is going to keep changing. So the fact that real time, what I just described may sound totally futuristic, but we may be sitting here in a year saying, wow, that's just reality. Yeah. And I mean, more than ever, is it important to educate consumers and, you know, get that information out there. And I think, you know, that's a, it's a challenge for those of us in this industry, for sure. I mean, both of you have been, uh, I think in more mainstream publications than I have, but still, you know, I mean, we've all tried in different ways. Do you want to know what the government wants to do? Oh boy. What does the government want? <laughs> I don't know. The U.S. government? Here's, uh, here's what the government is proposing. You're going to die. Because of AI, because of, you know, all this cloning, they are proposing that the post office become the central point for verifying identity. So people will go to the post office. Anytime you need to verify that it's real, they'll have to go to the post office and check in with the with the post office. <laughs> I don't know if I trust my local mailman. Also, with all the mail theft happening, it's not, they're not exactly... <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, a beacon of hope, but I mean, I know that for the longest time there were uh, proposals to actually create, to turn the post offices into banking and financial institutions, but for, to verify your identity, I, I mean, it's going to be tricky and it's going to be hard. And I think knowing that and then recognizing how are we using voice and video to verify people uh, in our company, right? Is it, I mean, at some point, are you going to end up hiring a remote worker that's just a deep fake persona? Probably, you know, um, not and not intentionally, right? I'm sure there are people out, you know, we know that there are people out there during COVID that were um, working two or three jobs. Well, now you can just create an avatar to join those Zoom calls and sit there and look real. I mean, I hope I'm not giving anyone ideas, but. Yeah, Chris, I think the big question in the future is, you know, how do we differentiate the truth when we no longer can trust what we see and what we hear? And that's going to be, you know, answering that question and solving that problem will be, you know, pretty big task. And especially with 
you know, regulation and laws and rules won't be able to keep up with it as well. Well, I do know someone um, who's very smart who I hope I can get on the podcast, but they um, are also very secretive because of a lot of the work they've done. But we had a conversation a few months ago, and I just wrote myself a note to reach out to them again, because they had discovered a way for companies, uh, marketplaces to verify if a picture that was uploaded was created by AI. So, you know, marketplaces where you're selling items and things like that, you know, and you're posting pictures of the items, are you just telling an AI generation, you know, a generative AI photo application, I want, you know, to have this guitar or whatever it is, right, that I'm going to sell on the marketplace. And um, he had figured out some markers within the file or the pixels or something that made it so that the marketplaces, the marketplace that he worked for would be able to identify that. So I know that those things are coming, um, but we need more smart people to build things like that. Absolutely. We need the good guys figuring this stuff out. Right? I and mean, we know that the bad guys are recruiting Stanford grads and MIT grads and, and others to write programming models for bots and, you know, things like that. We need to keep you know, making this side exciting enough for people to join and and lucrative enough, right, to be able to be on the good side. Well, as always, I mean, we can never talk about all 11 predictions in one one episode or one conversation. But I just really appreciate both of you for, you know, creating this tradition uh, and for bringing me along with you. Um, I think that between the three of us, we have unique perspectives on, you know, on different things. Um, you know, whether it's in e-commerce, fintech, banking, etc. I mean, it used to be very siloed, you know, banking fraud was so different from e-commerce fraud. And now those lines are getting more blurry and more blurry. And um, especially with fintech in the middle there that, you know, kind of usually has some aspects of e-com and some aspects of banking and, you know, some regulations of banking and others. So I think it's good to be able to take a little time to say, okay, what blew us away last year? Or what happened last year? What's going to happen now this year to help people in our industry know what to prioritize, what to watch out for, what to know is possible. As we close out, is there anything that either of you wanted to uh, say as closing thoughts? Well, Chris, one thing that I'd like to say is, you know, there's going to be, you know, quite a big audience here listening to this podcast and they're going to be our friends in the industry. And they're looking at these challenges probably every day as practitioners, you know, um, from a strategy standpoint, from an operational standpoint. And I just want to say that we're there for them. So if any of that, anyone in the industry wants to reach out to you, to me, to Frank, if you need our help, please do that. Um, we're here for you. You know, and I think that's the reason we even, it's, it's our labor of love to even do this prediction blog because we, you know, we really appreciate everyone so much in the industry. You really created the, I think, credit you for creating like the fraud community concept with your podcast and everything you really bring people together and make them people feel good about belonging to it well i'm excited that yeah there's going to be a more official community coming in the next couple of months i've been saying that for a little while but i was actually just working on it today so it's coming but yeah because we need each other right and you know, the other thing I would add to Marianne is sometimes fraud practitioners just need to vent. Sometimes they just need to talk about something crazy that they saw. Or, you know, sometimes people just call me out of the blue. I mean, 
these days in 2020, well, 2024 now, um, you know, it's kind of abnormal to just get a phone call out of the blue without a text message first or setting up a time. But uh, that still happens to me uh, fairly often with, you know, people that work for large companies who are just like, I just need to vent about what our solution provider did, or, you know, this problem that we can't fix because of this budget or that budget. Um, And I know that, you know, Frank and Marianne are, you know, just as discerning as I am at keeping, you know, anonymity and not providing, you know, not saying who our sources are, but being because each of us have a platform being able to share what what is being said. So um, I'd absolutely echo that Frank and Marianne are, are just as welcoming um, for those types of phone calls or, you know, emails or LinkedIn messages uh, as I am, because that helps us know what's relevant and what's happening, right? We're only as good as our network as the people who trust us. Absolutely. I guess I'd add one more thing. I mean, yeah, I love that. And the other thing I would say, and I think this is something kind of goes to Chris, what you were saying about needing to vent. I think what I find the common denominator between any kind of fraud fighter out there is that a big source of frustration is you know something needs to be done about something and you start to raise this is a problem, this is a problem, and nobody's listening to you. And you say it again and again. Maybe you're thinking like maybe professional refunding or something like that, where you say, talk about it for years and years and years, and you want something to happen. But I think the thing that I would say is if you're a fraud fighter, you know, and and just because people, you know, aren't listening to you doesn't mean you aren't right. That you need the persistence to continue with your belief because people need to hear it maybe seven, eight, nine, ten times, and all of a sudden they they hear you. And so it's that persistence of being a fraud fighter. And I've seen Marianne do this. Marianne famously stood on the table of a conference a conference table to get some fraud software in because nobody was listening to her, so she had to get up <laughs> on the table, and it worked. It worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> but that's the thing. If you're fighting fraud, sometimes know that you're not. Don't get discouraged. Just keep going. I think that's why we need our community, right? Is for that validation, for that I'm not the crazy one, right? I'm not chicken little. Um, you know, and sometimes we have to be reminded of priorities and that yes, that matters, but you know, are you really, are you only looking at 1% of the business, you know, and the it's a problem or whatever, but most of the time, you're absolutely right, Frank, that, you know, we, we have to say it several times in several different ways. And I would also add tracking data, right? So tracking the metrics of how big that problem gets, because it will keep growing uh, as there, you know, isn't a fix in place. And so tracking that to be able to say, hey, remember that thing I mentioned last month? Well, now it's this size. Hey, remember that thing that I mentioned, you know, the last three months? Well, now it, this is what's happening. And this is the impact it has on our customers or on our bottom line. That's yeah. right. And then uh, guess what? All of a sudden, everybody would be saying what you said. And they thought they came up with it. Like, <laughs> uh, you scream about it. And nobody will listen to you. And, and every then- female fraud fighter just really <laughs> shook their head. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, and now everybody. It's just amazing how it plays out. And then everybody rushes in to claim the accolades of, oh, this was a problem. I mean, I could even say that on my end, right? Like, I mean, not being within a company anymore, but you know, using professional refunding and refunders as an example. Like I was, you know, sounding the fire alarm, pulling that fire alarm three and a half, almost four years ago now. It was March of 2020 when we really discovered it. And 
you know, I remember so many companies being like, not wanting to talk about it because they didn't have a solution or they didn't know what they didn't really understand the problem um, or so many people not really understanding it. And now, I mean, you can pull up so many blog articles about it and I'm not going to say that they're all right because they're not, but um, you know, some are, but I'm, I wish I wasn't, I, I wouldn't have been really, I, I shouldn't say I was relieved because I wasn't, I knew that this was going to be the next big thing. Um, but I was hoping I was wrong, you know, but it, I think we all have those moments, you know, whether it's within your company or not, where it's like, no, I'm going to keep being the one that says this and I'm going to keep being the drum and I'm going to annoy the heck out of you. And I'm going to, you know, but I'm going to try to do it in different ways and, you know, try to be strategic about it. But you're so right about persistence. And I actually wrote down that. I think that is such a good Frank McKenna quote, just because people aren't listening to you, it doesn't mean you're not right. And you know, what's interesting, Carice is, you know, We've all had pats on the shoulders or pats on the back as, you know, oh, it's just fraud. It's just fraud. But now, but now we have material impact to your stock price because of fake accounts. Now we have material impact to your bank results because of fraud. Now we've had a bank failure because of fraud. Now we've had digital channels shut down because of fraud. So now we have some real life examples of what you know, the fraud teams have always talked about as catastrophic things to the, you know, and material impacts. So I think hopefully now, you know, those are the kinds of examples that I put in front of people to say, you don't, you don't want this to happen to you. Right, right. And, and that it can happen, right. And I will say, you know, encouraging wise, what I've seen with founders or people at, you know, newer tech startups that have been in tech before, that they usually are hiring fraud and risk people sooner than they did before. You know, they know that that's an important part of the puzzle when they're building a tech company. So that's, you know, whereas before I used to say all the time when I spoke at conferences, I would say, you know, most companies, most online companies, especially don't care about fraud until they have their oh shit moment. Uh, and now I've at least seen more companies that earlier on in their growth, they're adding somebody with fraud experience or, or they're adding a fraud tool or, you know, something like that. They're, they're considering it sooner. So, and that's a small, a small silver lining. <laughs> that's right. Let's get a million new fraud fighters hired. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? I think that that's a good place to leave it too, is that as fraud fighters, while it is discouraging to feel like we're yelling into a void or that we care about something so much more than anyone else in our company and that that makes us odd or whatever it is, it's equally important for us to remind ourselves of the good things and remind ourselves of the progress we've made. And, you know, just as much as there are <laughs> fraud is moving at a very fast speed, we are keeping up, right? I mean, as much as as an industry we are, I mean, there are definitely some companies that are lacking more than others, but, you know, we're, we're trying to keep up and that, you know, this industry is small, but very mighty. And I am grateful for the community that we have, because I think it's almost like a, you know, survivors group or something like that. But, and I'm so grateful for both of you that I get to, you know, both of you friends and peers, I feel like so proud and happy about that and grateful. And I'm hopeful that while 2024 is going to be a lot of fraud, like that we're going to be able to keep up and that we at least aren't going to get blindsided. 
Yeah, that's right. That's what we hope. <laughs> you never know, though, right? <laughs> what we say? You just jinxed it. You just jinxed it. <laughs> you have to play that next year. We'll never get blindsided. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I did just totally jinx it. I'm sorry, everyone. At least I didn't say the Q word. I didn't say it was going to be quiet with no thought, right? He says, hopefully you won't get blindsided with anything new that we didn't predict, <laughs> but I'm sure there will be something. <laughs> That's funny. I always, I always, I always tell, but one of my biggest advice for people when they're going to get a job is never take a job as a fraud person when the company has no fraud. Ah, really? <laughs> never. Because that just means you're going to get fired because there's going to be fraud and they're going to blame it on you, right? Oh. If you never had fraud... <laughs> Or you're going to be the fall guy because <laughs> every company has fraud. See, there are some companies, however, that have started to hire fraud people before they even have business. Like, so that is that's, yeah, that makes that's sense. different. Right. But I would argue that if the company doesn't have fraud and they have business already, they just don't know where to look. That's right. And so when you become the, you can then only you become have the person a bad year. Yeah. You can only like, we hired that guy and now we have a million dollars in fraud. I'll fire him. He lifted up the rock and he saw what was underneath. <laughs> I fired that guy. That, right? <laughs> that makes sense. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you both so much. We know we could uh, be on these calls so much longer. I just love chatting and talking about fraud and fraud trends with both of you. And um, I think it would be fun to have you back in July again to check in. I, I think that's a new annual tradition. You know, we can have you the second annual this year. Let's check in. Yes, that sounds great. Awesome. Well, happy new year to you both. And uh, looking forward to seeing you both online and via Zoom sometime soon. Let's do it. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks, Chris. Happy New Year. Thank you again to Spec for sponsoring today's episode. I'm really excited for more online companies to see what's possible with their fraud infrastructure. Specs Trust Cloud is way more than just another fraud product, and I hope you'll visit www.specprotected, that's S-P-E-C-P-R-O-T-E-C-T-E-D.com to learn why.